Today, again, marks the start of the Advent season. And I, I think, in general, if, if we look at the whole of the calendar year, the sort of routines of our daily lives, there's a kind of noisiness about the way we live. Right? Our, our days are so full of routines and, and patterns and tasks that vie for our attention that there's, there's kind of this background hum to just the way we live that, that drowns out most other voices, most of our ability to, to hear new things. I have to confess that as I was preparing for Advent this week and, and reading and studying these passages in the Gospels, I felt both the, the voice of the Lord calling me to slow down and, and to pay attention to Him, but I also felt sort of the the pattern of my everyday life in conflict with that. And if, if anything, this week between Thanksgiving and the start of December, I feel like it's one of the busiest times. It's one of the times that I've, I've felt a, sort of the most sort of internalized stress. I feel like I'm losing my patience with my kids, with my wife, and, and just not, not entering this season as, as the Lord would have it, as he would call us to do as a people. And so as we look into God's word this morning, these are our challenges and invitations that I am I'm wrestling with and struggling with to take on at a personal level as well. So we have the, the background noise of our everyday lives, but our times of worship on Sunday are our special times. They're times set aside to hear the voice of the Lord. And then at various times in a calendar year, the church marks special times as well, special days or special seasons to help point us to the promises of our God. And today is one of those days. If you didn't know it, today is the first day of the new year. This is the day one of the church year, the first day of Advent. So as we step into this new year of worship together, I want to take that as an invitation today to take that background noise in our lives and, and try to turn it down three or four notches in this season. So that as, as we turn those voices down, we might have a heightened sensitivity to hear something else. In particular, to hear the proclamation of the gospel, the proclaiming of good news. Specifically that God has made his dwelling place here with us, with his people. And so for the month of December, we're going to be listening to the sounds and the songs of Luke's gospel. As they prepare us and they set the stage for the arrival of a child named Jesus. But given how familiar all of, all of the stories in Luke chapter 1 and 2 are, not just to you and I, but even to the general public, there's a temptation to take these stories and to sort of assign them a place with all of that other background noise, to just sort of slide them into the hum of everyday life this month. But Luke has done something, I think, to, to help capture our attention and in particular, he has inserted a soundtrack into the beginning of his gospel. Into his recording of that very first Christmas. And you may not have noticed this before, but right there on the pages of the scriptures are actual 
songs, several of them, in Luke 1 and 2. There are songs belonging to Mary. There is a song belonging to Zechariah. There are the songs of angels, the songs of shepherds, the song of a man named Simeon. And if we listen to those songs, they express waiting, they express hoping, they express a longing for a day of Advent, for a time of God coming to be with us. So I'm excited to hear those songs together with you in the month ahead. But sometimes in order to appreciate the the beauty of a piece of music or, or a symphonic suite of music, we first need a time to prepare ourselves, a a dose of silence. And so it is with Luke's gospel. Before we get to all the songs of Christmas, before we get to this great poetic outburst of praise that, that come off the lips of God's people, Luke first tells us the story of an extended hush. So if you'll turn in your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 1 verse 5. We're going to start Advent today with the story of Zechariah's silent beginning. Let me pray for us as we open up God's word. Lord, I pray in these moments you would quiet our spirits. Quiet the distractions that that occupy our thoughts and our hearts. We confess the things that that we have been impatient in, the things that consume us. Lord, I pray that you instead would help us to notice the time, notice the season, notice the things you are doing. Lord, we pray for you to come and to speak your word powerfully to us now. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. This morning I'm going to read for you all of this passage, Luke 1, verses 5 through 25, in one go. And I'm not going to put the words up here on the screen. If you have the text in a Bible before you, you are welcome to read along there. I'd also invite you, if you'd like, just to to close your eyes and as you hear the passage read slowly and carefully, to, to let it speak to you, to hear it in a new way. This is the Gospel of Luke, verses 5 and following, chapter 1. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless, because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, He was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, 
to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of the incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zacharias saw him, he was startled and he was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring many of the people of Israel back to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens. Because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When the time of his service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant, and for five months she remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. This is the word of the Lord. When I hear the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth read aloud, I hear in that story God using three times, three seasons or or three movements in their life in order to break through the noise of that everyday hum, the, the things that would otherwise distract them. In their story, I see a time of waiting described. I see an appointed time of fulfillment that comes after that. And then I see finally a time of silence given to them. A time of waiting, a time of God speaking, a time of silence to follow. And so while these are the themes that were given in Zechariah's story today, 
I think they are also themes that, that more broadly we are invited into in this season of Advent. Advent is a time given to us to notice where we are waiting. It's a time given to us to hear God's appointed promises to us. And it's also a time given to encourage us to be silent and to listen to what the Lord has spoken. So I want to look at these three times in Zechariah's story and consider what they might have to say to us today. We look at verses 5 through 7 to begin. They introduce for us a time of waiting. Luke says, It was the time of Herod, king of Judea. A king who was notoriously self-centered. He was a king who was notoriously impious. And so while it was the time of King Herod, it was a time where all Israel then was waiting, not for Herod, but for a true king. A king unlike Herod. Israel not only was waiting for a king other than Herod, but they were waiting under the occupation of another lord, another king even greater than Herod, named Caesar. All of Israel was waiting for, for that reign and for that rule to be displaced, and instead for a king to come that they could call Messiah, that they could call God's anointed one. So Luke tells us it's a time of national expectation among the people. But then he also takes us to a particular couple named Zechariah and Elizabeth. And what does he tell us about this couple? He says they're descendants from the tribe of Aaron. That they're zealous in their worship of God. That they are righteous and blameless in in everything that they would do. the the keeping of the law, the keeping of the commands, Luke says. But despite their lineage, despite their devotion, despite their uprightness, verse 7 tells us that they too find themselves waiting. Waiting not just for God's anointed son, not just the the king to, to reign at a national level, but even more personally, they are waiting for a child of their own. And in all their waiting, Luke says, they have grown old, very old. And the burden of their barrenness weighs upon them. Luke will say later that Elizabeth found great shame in this waiting and in this this lack of childness, of, of bearing child. Waiting is always hard for us, but waiting with disappointment is even harder. So why is it that Luke chooses to begin his gospel this way? Right? The, the first five verses, which we didn't look at, tell about Luke's careful inquiry into the things about Jesus Christ. And he's going to proclaim this great and good news to the nations. And then he starts out with Zechariah and Elizabeth. The righteous, the blameless, the childless. There's no secret faults here in their story. There's no hidden source of disobedience. Zechariah and Elizabeth 
are forced to just endure plain, troubling, waiting for God to show up. Why start out with them? Well, perhaps Luke is reminding us that most often in the history of God's people, most often in our own walk with the Lord, we find ourselves in a place of waiting. We find ourselves longing for God's promises to take substance. Sometimes we're, we're stretched even to the, the mere margins of that hope that God will come. Most often we find ourselves waiting. So as you and I begin Advent this morning, what are the places where we are waiting? Could you name them? Maybe some of us, like Elizabeth, are actually waiting for a child to come. Maybe you have children and you're waiting for your children to grow up so that you can have a a bit of a relief and, and some margin back in your life. Maybe you're waiting in, in your sense of vocation and who you are and, and a sense of fulfillment in what you do in your work. Maybe you're waiting for a partner to share your life with. Maybe you are waiting your way through a trial that you are just simply asking God to bring to an end. Zechariah and Elizabeth's story reminds us, I think, that we do not wait alone. That we wait together with all of God's people. We are waiting for God to come. So Advent is a time where we're invited to name those places of waiting. To come before God and and to remember how we are waiting for him to act. To come. But Advent is not just a time of waiting, it is also an appointed time. It's a time where God speaks particular things to his people. Look with me at verses 8 and following in the text. Even though much of the, the walk of our daily lives is in between the promise of God and its fulfillment, that's where we live out most of our days. Advent is a time where God also calls us to pay attention to the appointed moments in each of our lives where he has acted decisively and where he will act with power to transform our circumstance. So while Zechariah and Elizabeth's story begins with year upon year of waiting for God, Luke now begins to, appoint, to describe an appointed time. A time where God is going to speak a new word to them. Starting in verse 8, Luke describes a whole series of events that are beyond Zechariah's control. Things that that he cannot manage himself, but that it seems God is arranging and, and ordering and drawing together in order to bring about a very particular purpose. It says in verses 8 and 9... Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as a priest before God. And then he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple and burn 
incense. Now those verses we could quickly read over. They don't sound all that significant to you or I. But for a priest like Zechariah, this is literally the opportunity of a lifetime. It's, it's a, a privilege he has been waiting his entire career to receive. Historians estimate that at the time the New Testament was written, there were roughly 20,000 priests in Israel, descendants of the tribe of Levi. And out of those 20,000, they were broken down into 24 separate divisions. And each of those divisions then had roughly, you know, just under 1,000 priests in, in that division. And because there were so many of these priests, each division was given two weeks out of a calendar year to go to Jerusalem and to serve at the temple. And so they would make their way up to Jerusalem together. Many of them, again, are are relatives. They've descended from from the same uh, ancestors. And so you'd have maybe 800 priests arrive at, at Jerusalem that week. But out of that 800, each day only probably 20 or 30 were selected to enter the temple and to perform the the services needed that day. And out of that 20 or 30, you know, some would be assigned the morning sacrifices, some would be assigned the handling of the drink offerings. But, But the most coveted role was given to one person, and it was given by the casting of lots, And that was to bring the morning or the evening incense and to place it there on uh, the table. And that table stood just next to the holiest place in all of the temple. right? Just just a few feet from the curtain that, that shrouded the holy of holies. If you brought the incense to that table, that was the closest anyone other than the high priest himself, the closest anyone would ever get to the actual dwelling place, the the place of God's presence. And if you were chosen to bring the incense, you could not be chosen a second time. That was a a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. It was an appointed time in the life of a priest. And so here we have Zechariah. Zechariah the righteous, Zechariah the blameless, Zechariah a man who is waiting, Zechariah a man who has been disappointed in his waiting. And he is called up now for service at the temple. And that week as he comes into Jerusalem, the, the crowds of worshipers are gathering in the outer courts of the temple... In one morning or one evening, as they begin to worship and bring their prayer, Zechariah is chosen. And he's given the incense, and and he lights it there in the outer courts. And he begins to make his way then into the center of the temple, through the crowds, into the priestly courts. And he proceeds toward that curtain, right, that, that shrouds the ark of God's presence. And slowly, Zechariah then turns and he takes that incense and he places it on the stand. And he watches the plumes of of smoke carry heavenward. Not only his, his own intercession and his own great prayer and longing, but as a priest, he's bringing the prayers of God's people into the presence of God. 
again, prayers of waiting and longing and expectation. That moment as, as the incense is placed on the table, it's, it's a time of, of prayer and expectation. It's what the scriptures call a time of kairos, right? A sacred time, a time pregnant with possibility and significance. And as Zechariah offers the incense, suddenly we're told he's startled to notice that there is a presence of, of a person standing next to him beside the table. And it's not another priest. He was there alone. He discovers that it's an angelic presence, a terrifying presence. And as he turns to look at the angel, he hears a voice that says, Zachariah, do not be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife will bear you a son. And as the angel continues, he says that this child is not just the answer to Zechariah and Elizabeth's prayer, but it's an answer to the prayers of all God's people. Because this child, John, will cause many in Israel to rejoice. Verse 16 says, He will bring many in Israel back to the Lord their God, and he will make ready a people prepared for the day of the Lord's coming. He's a child who will transform that time of waiting. Angel says, your prayers have been heard. These four weeks of Advent also offer us the assurance that God has heard us as his people. That in all our years of waiting, even now as we wait on the Lord, he is hearing, he is preparing, he is making ready for his appointed time of acting. That there is a kairos time of fulfillment and restoration that the Lord has for his people. And so Advent is a time where we are called to hear his promise that he has heard us as we pray. But sometimes just hearing that voice once is not enough. Sometimes in order to to take that word into us and to notice what God is doing, he has to lead us into times of silence. So look with me at verses 18 and following. Describes a time of silence for Zechariah. We see that after a lifetime of waiting it out, of of wondering whether God was hearing anything that he and his wife prayed for, now as the angel appears, Zechariah struggles to trust and to believe this message. And he says, my prayers have been heard? He says, give me the times, give me the dates, give me the schematics. How is this going to be Delivered. How can I be sure of this? Zechariah is probably not unlike many of us in his response here. But notice the answer he's given. Gabriel gives him a two-part reply here. He says, firstly, I am the angel of God who stands in the very presence of the Lord. 
And so you can know that this will come true because he has sent me to you. He has sent me to speak these words of good news over you. But secondly, in order to ensure that you can hear the words I have spoken, you now will be unable to speak your own words. You will be unable to speak your own message until the appointed time, the kairos time of the Lord, arrives. This is troubling for Zechariah for all sorts of reasons. Remember, he has just entered the temple. He's brought the incense into that holy place. And according to the custom of the temple, he's now meant to leave that inner sanctum. He's to go out on the the steps of the temple itself, and he's to pronounce the day's benediction, the day's blessing over all God's people who are waiting. So now Zechariah exits the temple, silenced by the angel. And as he begins to offer the benediction, he finds himself tongue-tied. Verse 21 and verse 22, that that Zechariah cannot speak, and instead he, he fumbles with awkward hand gestures. And his silence begins to embarrass him. It precludes him from doing what he would normally be able to do. When we're gripped with a desire to know, a desire to control, a desire to map out our own future, the last thing we would choose is silence. Right? Silence feels disruptive. Silence feels inefficient. Silence feels like an impediment to us and what we would do for God. But I think as Zechariah returns home in the last couple verses of this story, I wonder if he didn't begin to discover that this silencing of the angel came as God's grace to him. It is God's gift to Zechariah. Because as he goes home, he now has nine long months to ponder and to hear the angel's message again and again in his heart. As he's silenced, not only does he have time to hear the angel's words, but he has time to listen and pay attention to the words of his wife, Elizabeth. Right? Take that on. (laughs) We, We could all take some application from that. And what does Elizabeth say as, as, as Zechariah returns home, as, as a child begins to, to take shape in her womb? She marvels at this. She revels in this good news and she says, the Lord has done this for me. He has shown me his favor. He has taken away my disgrace. Zechariah in that time of silence, begins to receive the gospel, receive the good news. It it penetrates deeply into who he is. I challenge you this week to find little, little pieces of silence. Zachariah was silenced for nine months. But if we can silence ourselves even for five minutes every day, just as you enter your office before the day of work begins, close your door. Or as you turn in in the evening... You could even set your iPhone for five minutes. You know, it can remind you at the end of that time. But stop 
And in that time of silence, I'd invite you to name the places that you're waiting. Where are you waiting on God to come, to renew, to act? And then just simply be silent and listen for his voice. Listen for his promise. Where is he with you? What does he want to say to you? How are your prayers being heard? To hear and to trust and to enter into this brilliant mystery of God's coming in Advent, we may need ourselves a time and a season of silence. So I want to offer you some of that time this morning as we come to the Lord's table. I'm going to call the deacons up in just a minute. But as you prepare to come, remember that that you are invited by the God who was and who is and who is to come to receive him into your own circumstances and into your own life.